my lips, Lord, that for what you do for us. And uh, Lord, we just want to hear from your word now. So we pray that you just fill our pastor to overflowing with your Holy Spirit, guide and direct him as, as, as he speaks. Lord, may the words that come out of his mouth not necessarily be what the notes are on his page, but what you exactly want to say. So have control, have control of this time, and we, we, are, we are sliding up to the table right now, Father, so that we can consume what it is you have for us today. We love you, we thank you again and again and again and again, and it's in your great and glorious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's get our Bibles out. Peter admonishes us to feed the flock of God on the sincere milk of God's word. As the sheep gather in his name, uh, his presence is what we need, and he is the one who spiritually feeds our soul. We are in the New Testament book of Titus, if you'd like to turn there to chapter 2. Titus was an early convert of the Apostle Paul. He's a Gentile. He's a Roman, a Gentile. That was never circumcised, but he took him to Jerusalem anyway and, and showed the church leaders there what God was doing in and through Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. It was staggering to the Jewish mind that God wanted Gentiles saved as well as Jews. There was, racism is not something that is new. People have hated different people uh, since the dawn of time, all the way back to Cain and Abel. They're, they're brothers and they hated each other. So there is a divisive spirit that is in the world since Satan took over that keeps us at odds with each other. But... Uh, it has nothing to do with our skin color, our background, or the language we speak. We have been, all of us, made in the image of God. Understand that. There is no racism in the kingdom of God. We've all been made in the image of God because of our geographic locations all over the earth and genetic isolation. Different civilizations develop different facial and body features and characteristics and heights and skin colors. All to the glory of God. We are His children. Here's the thing. Once every one of his children saved. Jews, Gentiles, everybody in between. Titus was thought to be irredeemable by the Jews. He's Roman. He's Roman. He's an uncircumcised Gentile. In the Jewish writings of the rabbis, they said that they honestly believed that Gentiles were only created to fuel the fires of hell to stoke the fires of hell. What a, what a mindset. Well, don't let anything like that ever creep into your lifestyle. As a Christian, there is no room in, in the heart of Christ for any racism at all. Titus had been told by Paul, I want you to, they'd been ministering together on the island of Crete, but Paul being itinerant as he was, moved on to his next job assignment, if you will, but told Titus, I want you to stay behind on the island of Crete this long 160-mile long island with a whole bunch of big cities at the time in it. And he said, I want you to help establish the church. We began a work there, but they need some elders. They need some teachers. They need some, some overseers. And you need to organize the church there because they're, they're all just saved and coming out of such a pagan background. They've got baggage. That's the term we use today. Of course, nobody in this room has baggage, do they? You know, communion is a wonderful opportunity to drop that baggage because anytime you say, I will not obey God in this area of my life or that one, you become an unceasing hypocrite. 
You drag the name of Jesus Christ through the mud by your actions. If we claim to be Christ, celebrate his communion and then not do what he said. Simple rules that Jesus left us. Jesus said, here, let me give you a new rule. Love each other. Nope, I'm not going to do it. There's certain people I just hate. Can't stand my wife. Can't stand my husband. Can't stand my brother, my sister, my employer. The list goes on and on. Satan doesn't care who you hate. He just wants you to hate. Hate is of the devil. It's not of God. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Love. Joy, peace, patience. You know, the, you know Galatians 5 as well as anyone. That's what God wants to fill you with. Why would you resist that work of the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm married to somebody who's unsaved. Peter addresses that and says, zip the lip and set a good example. That's a wonderful paraphrase of that section where he says, where he says wives, there is this possibility that you can win over your husbands without a word when they see the godly behavior and conduct of your lives. He didn't put a time frame on how long that might be. With my dad, it was 20 years. I prayed for his salvation for 20 years, and, and, and he was not getting saved. And I was kind of at the point where I gave up until dad pulled up in the driveway one day out of the blue and accepted Christ as Lord and Savior right there standing in front of Main Street with traffic zipping by at 60 miles an hour in security. God, he's a miracle-working God. He is not willing that any should perish. Understand, that's the heart and mind of God. And that is why Titus was left behind on Crete. Crete was pagan to the core. They were, they were proverbial in their wickedness, in their drunkenness, in their idolatry. They had issues. But the church has been established there. They're young believers. They've got baggage. Drop the baggage at the foot of the cross. Stop making excuses. Well, I'll change when he changes. I'll change when she changes. Then nobody's ever going to change just like Satan wants. In fact, there's an interesting word used in chapter 2, I'll draw your attention to here in a few minutes, where it says if we are not in obedience to the commands of God, then we are doing the work of the devil. There's only those two options. You serve God or you serve the devil. But there is no in-between. Understand that. There is no in-between. So we either obey God or we are by default serving Satan and doing his will and work in the, in the church, in the home, in society. So he has said what the tasks and qualifications of overseers and teachers was back in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he moves on to very specific groups within the church. And this is very instructive to me. He's got something to say to everybody. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 1, you, you, Titus, must, forcible, must teach what is in accordance with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate. That means not given to drunkenness. Worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Instantly to mine says, well, what's an old guy? In other words, do I have to obey this? What's an old guy? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. But first of all, the primary role of a pastor is to do what Titus was commanded to do in verse 1. I must teach. 
I'm a pastor teacher by the will of God. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a prophet. I don't have the gift of organization or any of the other spiritual gifts. As far as I can tell, every once in a while, you know, stuff like mercy and, and stuff comes to the forefront. But my primary gift is I just love teaching the Word of God. That's what a shepherd does, feed the sheep. You feed sheep on the Word of God. I depend upon you to feed yourself Monday through Saturday. You have to do that. You're in God's pasture. But when we come together on Wednesdays and Sundays, it's my opportunity to hopefully answer some of your questions, point you in the direction or in the right direction, give some of you a swift kick in the seat of the pants. Whatever is necessary. I mean, the more stubborn you are, the, more, the bigger the boot that God uses to uh, get your attention on the backside. Don't be stubborn. Don't be stubborn. Sheep can be. Goats are really stubborn. Some sheep just like to butt heads and argue. Don't do that. Don't do that. All Scripture must be applied. So my job, first of all, in verse 1, is to teach you what is in accordance with sound doctrine. Ephesians 4 tells us it was He, that is Jesus Christ, who gave some, not all, but some, to be apostles. We know them. They're listed for us by name. Some to be prophets. We have many names throughout Old and New Testament Scripture. Some to be evangelists. I praise God for evangelists. Some to be pastors and teachers. The word is hyphenated in the original, so a, a pastor and a teacher is, is one in the same office. But here's the, here's the why God gave us these gifted people, spiritually gifted people, to prepare God's people. That's you. To prepare you for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Mature is to the degree that you put into practice the Word of God. Put it into practice. Do it. You will mature as a Christian. Resist it. You will not mature as a Christian. I like Christianity because it's so simple. Do this. Do that. If you don't do this, this is going to happen. If you do do this, this is going to happen. Scripture is crystal clear on that, which is why some Christians in disobedience to God's Word don't want to read it. I don't want to read. I don't want to pray. I barely want to come to church. Certainly don't want to worship, and I better not take communion, but I'm good with God. <laughs> no, you're just deceived. You're just deceived. You're right where Satan wants you. Lukewarm and loving it. Ineffective. Miserable marriage, miserable life, hate your job, can't stand your kids, nor can they stand you, right where Satan wants you. That kind of testimony is of no threat to the kingdom of Satan. Don't do his work. Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. I, I love Peter because he's as dumb as I am. Three times Jesus had to tell him the, some, the same thing. Feed my sheep. Did you get that, Peter? <laughs> feed my sheep. Okay, let me put the different names. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Any way you want to word that, he had to put it three times to, to Peter who was going, I wonder what that means. He wasn't quite sure. So, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Do you see what you see the connection between you say that you love Jesus and then you do what he says? 
You, you can say that you love Jesus all day long, and if you don't do what he says, it's a lie. First John says, the truth isn't in you. The third time Jesus said to him, son, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, really, how many times do I have to tell you the same thing? I mean, I tell you the same thing all the time, don't I? Love one another. What, Pastor Jim? Love one another. No, really, what do you mean? Love one another. And then you argue in the parking lot on the way home. You go, what, what part? Did you listen to a word I said? This is supposed to be put into practice. Do it. Don't just listen to it. Otherwise, James says you're like the guy who looks in the mirror and as soon as he walks away forgets what he sees. Come to church, but as soon as you hit the parking lot, you're on your own again. God's not at the steering wheel. Submission to the Lord. Jesus said, do you love me? Then do what I say. In Peter's case, feed my sheep. And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? I shouldn't have to tell anybody the same thing three times in the same dialogue. I shouldn't have to. Jesus shouldn't have had to. And yet, can I tell you, like uh, in biblical counseling, we tell people what they already know, but they're not doing it. They make an excuse why they're not doing it. But if everybody did what Jesus told us to do, I wouldn't have any counseling at all. Tracy would have to look for another job because he does all the counseling in the church. He's really good at it. But the only reason we do counseling is because people are not doing what the Word of God says to do. And you know what? When they come into the office, we tell them what the Word of God says to do, and they go, well, I don't want to do that. Then why are you here? Why are you here? What makes you think you're a Christian? If you know the Word of God but refuse to do the Word of God. Paul had previously commanded us, search yourselves and see if you're really in the faith. Faithful Christians do everything within them to obey the Word of God, to do what God says. It doesn't mean it's always easy. It's just the right thing to do. Do the right thing. That's in, uh, fundamentally what Paul is asking of Titus here. Teach what is in accordance with them. And Peter understood this sound doctrine in verse 1 uh, to be the sincere milk of God's Word. First Peter 2, 2 tells us that sound doctrine is that which is healthy, that which is helpful. Doctrine, traditions. Verse 1, feel free to highlight it, this demands right conduct of all of us. Now, he'll break it down into specific groups here, and he starts out with old guys like myself. In verse 2, old men presbutas is the word. Teach the old guys to be temperate. In other words, don't drink much. Easy on the alcohol. Alcoholism should not be found anywhere in the church. If you wonder what it means to be under the control of alcohol, <laughs> look up the definition of alcoholism. Feel free to Google it. You know what abuse of alcohol is, and we have a huge problem with that in the Western world today, not just America. Be temperate. In other words, have a glass of wine, if you will, but then back away from it. 
you can have a drink, it's okay, but be temperate. A little discretion here. Older men, well, you're, well, who's an older man? You're wondering, well, I'd like to drink a case of beer when I come home. <laughs> God help you already, man. Teach the older men to be temperate, and you're looking for the excuse, the way out. Am I a presbytos? And, uh, am I an older man? Presbytos, where we get the word Presbyterian. Paul is described as a young man at the stoning of Stephen, and he may have been 30 to 35 years of age. At that time, he's called a young man there. Hippocrates gives us some insight. He calls a man a presbytes from 49 to 56 years old, and a geron, after that word, we get the word geriatric. Okay? See, you can learn a lot from the Greek, can't you? It's fun stuff. So, am I a presbytes from 49 to 56? Yeah, I wish. <laughs> Fact of the matter is, I'm a geron in the original language. Presbytes, these guys should be overseeing the church. And so, 50 plus qualifies you, at least by age, to be an older guy in the church. And the older men were the leaders of the church because... They had been around for a while. They had experience. They, they were moral men to be setting the spiritual example for the church. They were to be temperate as opposed to the lazy gluttons that Titus was told most Cretans were in chapter 1 and verse 12. Older believers, they were to be responsible, moderate, sensible, a restraining force against the drunkenness common to their society. And immorality and wild behavior, they were to be a restraining force against those things. So teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith. Know what you believe and know why you believe it. Don't believe it because I told you to believe it. You should know why you believe it. If it's written in the Word of God, if it's a command of God, if it's a promise of God, you want to stake your, your faith on these things, sound in faith. I know the Word of God because I'm in the Word of God, because I apply the Word of God. I'm, I'm not there yet, but I'm maturing, I'm growing. <laughs> in love and in endurance. That's what the old guys are supposed to be doing, setting the example. Setting the example. How long have you been a part of this congregation? just want you to think about that for a second. How many, George? You said 22 years. That's why George is one of my elders, and the gray around his muzzle additionally qualifies him to be one of my elders. Ed, how long you been in the church? About 25 years. The motives, are they here this morning? How long you have been in the church, Adrian? Real close to 32 years. Adrian's one of my elders, and I'm blessed to have him on my board as well. Let's just grow old together. Because today we live in an age where there's a revolving door at the front of every church. And people revolve through there because Satan knows if you pull a tree up out of the ground and move it every six months to a year, it'll never bear fruit. Bloom where you're planted. 
Put down some roots. Don't be a part of that revolving church door because that characterizes the last day's church that's lukewarm and loving it. The church of Laodicea that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 3. Set down roots into a church that's teaching Jesus Christ, that, that, that shares the gospel message, that worships in humility the, the living God. Older men can be looked at in this church and I'm proud of my elders. I'm collectively the elders on the elder board of this church have served in this church 175 years. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing to me. These are the old guys. These are the old guys. These are the 50 plus crowd. <laughs> I love there's such wisdom there because they've been around the block a few times. They've seen a few things. And they bring a lot to the table, and I praise God in heaven for every one of them, because God has done, every one of them's got such a testimony of what God's been doing in their life. You should strive to be an elder. You should strive to possess their maturity, their wisdom, their discernment, their insight. And we have many, many more in this church just like those guys. I love it. Be temperate. Verse 3, likewise, teach the older women... <clears throat> Now, here's why I wanted to go to great lengths to say what an older guy was, because now it applies to the women, and I'm not here to ask any of you your age. So, if you are 50 or over, don't tell anybody, but this is for you. Teach the older women, Titus, to be reverent in the way they live. Reverent. Well put reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderous. In other words, don't talk bad about your husband, your children. Don't talk about bad about anybody in church. Don't be trash talking anybody in private or in public. Don't be addicted to much wine, but they are to teach what is good. So, you older gals in the church, you have an opportunity to come across the, to come to the younger gals and teach them. Teach them what? Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Why is that a need? Because they don't. Why are they in disobedience to God's Word? Selfishness. I don't want to. And you just want to spank them. You just want to. You know, not if they're too old, but <laughs> you catch my meaning. You're older gals. You're to be reverent. Setting the example in what reverence looks like. Likewise starts it off, and say, which means the same moral standards that apply to the guys applies to the gals in the church. Slander. Teach the women not to be reverent in the way, not to be slandered. Apparently, that was a problem among Cretan women, and it generally is among a people with too much time on their hands and too little focus on the Lord. Slanderer, circle that word if you like, the root in fact, the word itself in the Greek is diabolos. The word for the devil is diabolos. In other words, you slander, you talk bad to anyone about your spouse, your children, you talk bad about anybody in the body of Christ, you trash talk your boss behind his back. That means you do the work of the devil. You're a slanderer, a diabolos, doing the work of the diabolos. That's why it's the same word. You're either doing it God's way according to His Word, or you know what? By default, you're doing the work of the devil. 
There is no in-between. Don't be a diabolus. Don't talk badly about anybody. My grandma, who was unsaved 150 years ago, was telling people, if you don't have anything nice to say about someone, don't say anything at all. Good word. But those morals have changed today, haven't they? Nobody teaches that anymore. Nobody preaches that anymore. And nobody does that anymore. Don't fall in line with society around us. It's sick. It's dying and on its way to hell. Don't act like the world. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Humility will get you further in the kingdom of God than anything I know of. You combine that with faith, you can be a child of God. You can be a mighty man or woman after God's own heart and a powerful influence in life today. It all, it's all up to you. But know this, the choices you make, good or bad, are eternal in their consequence. Eternal in their consequence. Be careful. So the older women, verse 4, they can train, they can raise up the younger women and teach them to love their husbands and their children. Well, you hear some sick things out there in the world today of mothers killing their own children. What have we become? We've become a nation so far from God that we think of things like that as a horror and until the next thing hits the news cycle. Then we move on. But I think the older women in the church need to really step up, come alongside the younger women that are in disobedience to God's Word. They're struggling with one issue or another. They've got their excuses for sure. But teach them to love their husbands. Philandros is the original. Fond of their husbands. It doesn't use the word agape. It uses phileo because a lot of women are not affectionate to their husbands. That's what the word means. Yes, we're commanded, the wives are commanded to love, agape their husbands, but that's in 1 Corinthians. That is not the word that is used here. It says philandros, being fond of your husband, being affectionate as a wife. I already sense your resistance. Make up your mind this morning. I will obey the Word of God, or I won't. But the last thing on earth you want to do is come to me with the excuses. Be affectionate with your husbands. Are there any questions? What do you think I expect you to do with this information now? Say it loud. Do it. Just do it. Because men will dry up without the affection of their wives. And if you don't meet that need, don't underestimate a man's emotional needs. He needs that attaboy. You don't give it to him, I guarantee you Satan will raise up another woman who will. Your choice. You want a destroyed marriage? You want a wretched divorce? Oh, you keep doing what you're doing. Trash talk your husband. Don't be affectionate. Guaranteed they'll turn to pornography first and another woman second. Don't drive them to that. 
Men have needs, women have needs, but let's understand what those needs are and let's walk in obedience to God's Word because I think He knows what's best. Verse 4, this is God talking to you. This is not Pastor Jim. If you have an issue, please, in Jesus' name, don't cross your arms and glare at me this morning. Okay? I didn't write the book. I didn't write the book. I am telling you what it says. Do it. No excuses. No excuses. Verse 5, older ladies, be self-controlled, pure, to be busy at home, not busy bodies, but busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands. Did I just step on another toe of yours? I'm sorry. You've got 10. I've only on two so far. You're good to go. Be subject to your husbands. That means acknowledge their spiritual headship. It doesn't allow husbands to be dictators or mean or beat their wives or any stupid nonsense like that. Of course not. But it means that God has placed a headship principle in the family. And husbands, I encourage you to step up to that. Be the spiritual head that your wife wants to respect and come alongside of. It's easier for a wife to be affectionate to a man who is godly. Would you agree with that? That's just cut and dry. So, guys, be in the Word. Be godly men. Practice what you preach. First Corinthians, love your wives. There's the word agape. Wives, submit to your husbands. Hupotasso means to arrange an orderly conduct beneath, like in a military structure. You've got your generals and you've got other officers and infantrymen. And, you know, there is structure that gives order to that organization. It works the same way in the home. Wives, submit to your husbands. Kathy was, was fun. I had a little fun with her yesterday. I said, hey, would you like to go on vacation sometime? And we hadn't had a vacation in a long time. And so she said, yeah. And I said, well, she, I said, what do you think we should do about it? She said, I love my wife. She said, we should pray about it. Oh, yeah, I can't remember that. <laughs> so I prayed about it. And I said, well, what happens if you pray about it and God gives you one answer and I pray about it and God gives me another answer? You know what she said? Then I'll submit to you. Hmm. Does that apply to asking our wives where they want to go out to eat after church? Well, <laughs> honey, where do you want to go out to eat? I mean, we're thinking Texas Roadhouse, right? <laughs> and our wives are thinking soup and salad or something, you know. <laughs> well, you know, Pastor Jim talked about submission this morning. <laughs> Come on, guys, don't get me in trouble like that. Don't give me a trouble like that. In fact, in Ephesians 4, it says, submit yourselves one to another. Amen. Submit yourselves one to another. God's Word is so cool. Verse 6, similarly, encourage the young men. Who's young men? Everybody under 50. <laughs> Plain and simple. Encourage the young men to be self-controlled because they tend not to be. That's where you sow your wild oats. This is where stupidity reaches its height. Stupidity and hormone increase seem to go hand in hand until it levels off at somewhere uh, after somewhere between 25 and 50. I'm not sure where. Some people are in a delayed state of development, that's for sure. 
encourage the young men to be self-controlled. That is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So the more you are filled with God's Word, the more you are filled with God's Holy Spirit, the more self-controlled you tend to be. He's working in, on, and through you. Verse 7, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, Titus, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech. Seriousness. You know, my job isn't to keep you laughing. My job isn't to entertain you. My job is to help you put into practice the things that you already know. I want to encourage you to put in God's Word into practice because I want you happy. Don't fight me on it. God wants you happy. Don't fight Him on it. Obeying His Word will put you in a place where His blessings flow like a river of honey into your life, your, your, your marriage, your children, your occupation. But Titus, all teachers since should show integrity, seriousness of speech, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. There's opposition in the ministry. There's Christians that will come against you that go, I don't want to hear that. I can tell you this from the Lord. I don't care what you want to hear. I love you enough to tell you what you need to hear, as does God. He loves you so much. He knows what's best for you and I, our husbands, our wives, our children. He knows what's best. We prosper when we do it His way. We suffer when we choose not to do it His way. It's really simple. In verse 9, it addresses a situation which in Greek culture was common, but not so much ours. Teach slaves, verse 9, to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. In other words, feel free to share the gospel with your, if you're a slave with your owner or with the other slaves. They need Jesus as, as much as anybody. In fact, what he says, masters there in, in, in verse 9, it, it's where our English word despot comes from. These guys were dictators. They had absolute authority over their slaves, and slaves outnumbered freedmen in the Roman Empire two to one. Many slaves came to understand the gospel of grace and love and mercy that gave them an eternal hope because in this life they had little hope. By extension, because slavery has been, thank God, uh, repudiated, and that by Christians. If you ever want to know the history of abolition, you need, the, need to know that Christians in England and in the United States are the ones who stopped slavery. Understand that. That's due to the influence of Jesus Christ in society that did away with slavery. You need to understand that. Roman slaves had no legal rights. Their fates were entirely in their owner's hands. But verse 9 reminds me there's an application to this for those of you uh, that are employees. If you have other masters that you're responsible to, bosses at work, overseers, CEOs, be subject to them. 
in everything that does not violate the standards of God's Word. Try to please your boss. Don't talk back to them. Don't steal from them. Well, I'm not paid very much, so I'm going to take everything home I can. Do not think that way. That's carnal. It's wrong. And Paul addresses that. He says, don't steal from them. But show that you can be fully trusted so that in every way it will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive to them. Be a good employee. Be a good employee. It's easy to trash talk a bad boss. But understand that slander. We know the root of slander, don't we? Diabolus comes from diabolos, the devil, Satan himself. Don't badmouth anybody. Don't badmouth your bosses. It may be very tempting to do, <clears throat> but do not do that. What he's saying there in verse 10 is that Christian slaves were in a most unique position to give a powerful testimony to a transformed life. I was a jerk. I used to steal from you. I used to lie. I used to slander you. But Jesus got a hold of my life, and I just want to repent of that and tell you I'm sorry. I want to be a good slave. I mean, the slave owner must have just felt, wow, something really radical has changed in, in this guy. Now they want to cooperate with the work of God. They're faithful, they're honest, they're obedient to their masters. And I think that you and I in our workplaces can show that same transforming power of Jesus Christ. Just be a spirit-filled Christian at work. Obey these simple principles, and God will bless your socks off for it. And then as he closes out chapter 2, starting in verse 11, these following verses here, it, it, it describes the effect that grace should have on our lives. If any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and told us, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In fact, it's grace that allows us to say no to ungodliness. And that leads to holy living. A knowledge of how gracious God has been to you and I leads to holy living out of sheer gratitude. Being a Christian, the claim of being a Christian must be accompanied by godly living. It must be. Christians should act like Christians. Don't argue. Don't demean people. Don't use foul or filthy language. Don't listen to dirty jokes. You're to be salt and light in a polluted world. And I know it feels like you're just a little bitty birthday candle all by yourself shining in a dark place, but that's exactly why God has you there. Your little light will shine brightest. If, have any of have you ever been up to Cave of the Winds? Up, up, isn't that a cool place? I love that place. They did a freaky thing. One time they let us through there, and I didn't know until then that I was a little bit claustrophobic. And the idea of being under billions of tons of rock, I found pretty oppressive. Yeah, I felt like, I, like I'm not sure I can breathe. And so they led us back then on this path, and I'm thinking, boy, if they ever lose the power in this place, we'll never find our way out of here. I mean, you just wanted to leave it like a rope attached to your ankle or something while you're dragging in there. They take you way back in there. Then they take you into this big cave, and you're looking around, and you go, oh, that's a big cave, and there's stuff hanging from the ceiling, stuff, stalactites and stalagmites, and and then he turns off at the light. He gave us forewarning, but I didn't know how suffocating darkness could feel 
<clears throat> and we were in a room the size of this sanctuary, and a taller ceiling. And it was such a suffocating darkness, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And all you had to do was turn around one time with your eyes closed, and you didn't know which way you were going. It was a freaky little moment. And then you know what he did? He pulled a little Bic lighter out of his pocket. And all of a sudden, because our light, our eyes had become accustomed to the darkness, it lit up the whole entire cave. And I thought, one little Bic lighter lights up a room the size of our sanctuary? That's you in your workplace. You are that little light. Didn't Jesus say, so let your light shine before men that they see your good works. Give glory to your Father in heaven. If not in this life, certainly in the next. That's our job. We're that, I know it feel, you feel like I'm a little candle. You are. That's okay. That little light will illuminate an awful lot of darkness. And then I told the tour guide, turn on the lights. <clears throat> the things you find out about yourself in places like that, you know, it's a dark world out there, friends. If you don't let your light shine, who's going to? And what's going to happen in the place where you work? All those lost people, that's your mission field, man. Pray for them. Look for an opportunity to share Jesus. Not because you're perfect, but because you're trying to be. You're moving in that direction. Our lifestyle should demonstrate our, the reality of our faith to, to everyone. Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Say all. We just blew Calvinism out of the water again. Calvinism says, no, God's going to save some, but some are elect to hell, some are elect to heaven, you know. Really? It says that he wants to save all. Why aren't all saved? It's not because God's not able to save them. It's, not, it's that some resist. Some say no. God tells them what he wants them to do, and some will accept and some will not. But he wants all men to be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, Peter later on says. That's the heart of God. He didn't want anybody to go to hell, let alone he's elected some to go to hell. That is heresy. He loves us. Understand that. He sent his son so that we could be redeemed. He wants all men to be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever, anybody, not just the elect, whoever believes in him will not perish. Blows Calvinism out of the water again and again and again. And I don't know why legalists claim to such an unloving theology that is unbiblical besides unloving. But some do. Some do. I encourage you not to ever be a part of that crowd. Verse 12, it says, it teaches us. It raises us up like we were little children being taught in a, in a primer school. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, the grace of God is, and to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's why you have the Holy Spirit, to help you be holy. You say, boy, that sounds simplistic. Well, I'm really hoping you grab onto it then and do the simple thing because a lot of people are not these last days. 
You want to be self-controlled? I just can't control this passion. I just can't control my, this, this drunkenness or pornography. It's really got a grip into me or I'm obsessed with social media. Well, look at what verse 12 says. It's God talking to you. Grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. That is all that is not like God. And worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. You pursue God, your life will show it. You ignore God, your life will show it. Read, pray, seek His face, worship. I want to be trained by Him, educated, discipled. Sometimes that includes being chastened. That's okay. But I want to be open to that. I want to be instructed. I want to learn. I want to grow. Verse 13, and we're doing this all while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you see that? Jesus is our great God and Savior. Jesus is God. Isn't that a one? There are some people, oh, that's heresy. No, no. God, God the Father is God. There's only one God. It says right here, Jesus is God. How many times did Jesus do stuff like say, I am? Identifying himself with the voice that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. Jesus is God. Oh, there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes. But Jesus is part of that divine trinity. And what do we do? But look at verse 13 a little closer. It refers to the fact that Jesus is coming again. I mean, someday the trumpet's going to sound and you're going to hear something like this in your spirit. Ready or not, here I come. <sighs> When's he coming? In the perfection of time, just like he came the first time. In the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4 4 says. When's that, Pastor Jim? Why? So you can skate until 30 seconds before he shows up? I'm not giving you that. That's why he, he knew that if he gave us the time frame, we'd go, well, I can wait. I don't have to really get serious about this pursuit of holiness until, you know, a couple of days before. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior. Jesus is coming again. As he said he would in John 14, 1 to 3, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. In other words, be peaceful. God wants to give you peace. His peace this morning is the fruit of his Holy Spirit. Peace be upon you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Trust in God. Trust also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms, literally many dwelling places in that single house. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. So whether he takes you through natural death or the rapture of the church, the outcome is identical. We stand before the Lord. We stand before the Lord. But I love that fact that Jesus is referred to as our great God and Savior. What a testimony to the divinity of Jesus Christ. There are cults that disagree with that, but Scripture contradicts them. If you don't turn to any other passage but this one. Verse 14, Jesus, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself 
a people out of his very own. Yield to the work of God. A Christian is called to a pure and holy life. That should be what you strive for. You may be struggling with all sorts of issues between here and then. Take them to the Lord. He can cure that. Don't need a 12-step program. Or Do you guys have an alcoholism a group at your church? Why? So all of the people with the same weakness can get together? Does that make sense? Wouldn't you want to be around somebody who's strong? It makes sense to me that you would. We just need Jesus. We just need Jesus. Here's the deal. When the day you got saved, you got all the Jesus you're ever going to get. You got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. He just wants more of you. You got all of him. Stop holding stuff back from the Lord. If you're struggling with that this morning, see me right after church this morning up here. We will spank it out of you. Obey the Lord. Stop being resistant. Don't resist the Lord. He loves us so much. What he points out, verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what good. What he's saying is that when you're saved, it changes your lifestyle. There needs to be a fundamental change. It doesn't make you perfect overnight. No, there's a maturing process that's put in place. But it's a start and it's a journey. But don't falter on the journey. If there is no change in the way we live, one must question whether he or she is truly born again. If you live a life of resistance to the Lord, you should check to see whether you are really in the faith or not, as Paul declared to the Corinthian church. Check yourself. Are you sure you're saved? Because you don't act like it. There's no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What makes you think you're a Christian? Oh, I don't read, I don't pray, I don't worship, I don't go to church. Hate my husband, hate my wife, hate my job, hate my life. You sure you're saved? Because I don't think you are. When Jesus comes into your heart, something radically changes. Radically changes. Salvation must impact the way you live. If there's no change, hmm, you have to question I love this chapter because it's so practical. The opening 10 verses, it's Paul's instruction on what must be taught to various people within the church, old guys, older gals, the younger men, the younger women. Uh, It addresses each of the individuals in their unique individual needs. But I must teach. I must teach sheep. And sometimes it has an edge to it because Paul said, "I, I am to be absolutely sober, I'm to be absolutely truthful with the Word of God. I'm to show integrity, seriousness, it says in verse 7, and soundness of speech. Some, this, this message this morning has an edge to it. I get it. There are some churches that serve up nothing but whipped cream and fluff and, and, and cotton candy in their services. I, I'm sorry. This is the place where you actually are expected by God to put His Word into practice. In these last days, these kinds of churches that teach God's word with integrity and seriousness and soundness of speech will be fewer and fewer and fewer in number, that's for sure. There will be a great exodus out of the churches because people don't want to hear the word of God anymore. Just like in the days of Jeremiah, they clapped up their ears and said, we don't want to hear the word of the Lord anymore. We don't want to hear his prophecies. Tell us nice things. Tell us things we want to hear. 
But I must feed God's sheep on the sincere work milk of God's word. I've got to instruct according uh, to people's unique needs, just as Paul tells Titus to do here. It varies, obviously, with age and gender and, and calling. But, but verses 11 through 14 tell me the foundation of the church is grace. Grace. I am so thankful for grace. We're not on a merit system with God. Jesus has paid the price for every one of us to, to come into the presence of a holy and perfect God. He just needs a little bit of your cooperation to put into practice that which you already know. Titus' duty is clear in verse 15. These then are the things that you should teach. Encourage, come alongside of, paracoleo, come alongside of, encourage, exhort, tell them, and rebuke. Ooh, that's, that's a bit of, got of an edge to that one. You rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. I don't want anybody to despise me. But some people do because I preach the Word of God. It demands change of all of us. It doesn't let me off the hook. Why in the world would it let you off the hook? We're all held to a holy and high standard. Don't resent that. Don't resist the Spirit of God. I've tried to make you a better Christian, a better wife, a better husband, a better son, daughter, employee, and employer this morning. Now, it's all up to you to actually put into practice what God's Word has said very plainly. Holy living does not save me. It does not earn my salvation. It's because I am saved that I'm pursuing holiness. I am saved. I want to please Him with all of my heart. I'm getting better and better with every passing year. I kind of like being an old guy. And I'm not straddled with a bunch of the junk that I had earlier on. Oh, there's still plenty of stuff to be filed away. But my life is yielded to God. And if I were to die tonight and him show up in my bedroom five minutes before I did, I would just enjoy hugging on him and loving on him, telling him how grateful I was to be able to have a church like you. You guys are wonderful. None of us are perfect. But know this, God loves you with an unconditional love. He wants to be on your side. He wants to help you. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you the best possible marriage you can be, and it'll be a bright and shining light to the whole dark world that we live in. He's coming soon. He is coming soon. Isn't it interesting? They're talking about lobbing nuclear devices now, Ukraine and and Russia and China, oh, yeah, we're nuclear, this, and we got all options are on the table. We haven't heard that kind of rhetoric for 70 years. But we're there again. Book of Revelation seems to play out a nuclear scenario as the judgments of God fall. Um, I found out that of all of the incoming independently, uh, the multiply independent, uh, the MR. MIRV warheads that are on intercontinental ballistics missiles, uh, 10 of them on, on each of them. The number three target on the Soviet list is Colorado Springs. Number three. Number three. I mean, we, think about We got military here. I mean, coming and going. We got military. So what do, what do you do if you hear there's an incoming nuke? Put on your baseball catcher's mitt and try to catch the first one. I'm ready, Lord. I'm ready. You're I, 
I, I want you to be ready. I want your marriage to be where it's supposed to be. I want your walk with the Lord to be where it's supposed to be. I want your joy where it's supposed to be. I want your victory where it's supposed to be. Let's stand together and close in prayer, shall we? If he is a holy God, would you say amen to that? If he is a holy God, he has called us to be a holy people. That's, that's the, the long and short of the whole deal this morning. Uh, maybe you've got some business to do with God. And as we do this last song, uh, as the praise band comes up, it uh, might be a great time for you to yield afresh to the Lord. Uh, the altar's open. Feel free to come down here. You don't have to if you'd like to. Sometimes it's very private between you and the Lord. I get that. That's fine. I just want you to walk out here this morning feeling, I gave him everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I gave him everything this morning. I hold nothing back. I repent of resistance. I seek his face. Let's just do this. What do you say? Heavenly Father, would you bless these precious sheep of yours? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. To be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That is how God told Aaron to bless the Israelites. You are his chosen people. His desire is to bless you the same way this morning. Pups. My God, He holds.